Hi, everybody. I'm Rogers Healy, the host of Rogers That, a podcast dedicated to selling without selling out. And today we have someone who has been a part of everything from the internet, the phone book, television. He invented socks. He was also an initial investor in air, oxygen. Literally, he invested in oxygen. Now, he has a lot of other fancy titles that we're going to take a deep dive into so we can actually find out what does Trey Bowles do? What has Trey Bowles done? What is Trey Bowles doing? Our guest is, you guessed it, it's Trey Bowles. And I'm going to give you some more fun facts about today's guest who is as accomplished as the day is long. And fun fact, the day is long. Trey Bowles is the managing director of Techstars Physical Health in Fort Worth. He is the co-founder and the president of NO City Partners, LLC. And y'all that are in Dallas, y'all that are in North Texas, y'all that are in America, I can guarantee you that if it has something to do with entrepreneurship and startup and disrupting, Trey Bowles has his finger on it. And uh, out of all these accomplishments, Trey is also a uh, proud father, a proud husband. He's also an incredible Christian leader. And when I was thinking about putting this podcast together, Trey was one of the first people that I asked to be a part of it. And a year and a half later, he finally agreed to uh, join me. That is a true story. Uh, So Trey, uh, thanks for being a great friend, for being a guest today, and uh, for being uh, the epitome of being a sellout. I'm joking, not being a sellout. Thank of you. being someone who's just uh, become better as success has found you. So, welcome. Thanks for having me. Are those tears in your uh, eyes? Well, you know, just a little bit. Don't cry. It's such a nice intro. It's, yeah. it's so intentional and heartfelt. Yeah, well, you wrote it. And so, Trey, Trey and I um, have known each other for a long time, and we get to uh, work out together. We start our days together five or six times a week. And this morning, he made me, before I was able to start my workout, I had to recite uh, the intro that he wrote. Um, so hopefully you did, you did maybe next time you'll get it right. But yeah. that you know, you did good next time. Yes. Um, so let, let's, let's learn about Trey Bowles, Lloyd Trey Bowles, the third, which means there was two before you. Um, and here you are now, um, living as the third, what made Trey Trey other than Trey is probably three. Yes. So did, were you like a basketball player as a kid? And like every time you hit a three Trey, I, I would try, I don't know how many threes Would I you? Hit did you try or did you try? <laughs> Good. Okay, get, get right. us what what made Trey what what's made Trey Trey? Get us get us the background. I mean, I think it's it started as, you know, just growing up in 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 an environment where I got to be around entrepreneurs, I got to be around successful business people. I got to see what it took to make things work and you know, in all honesty, I went off to college, thought I'd be a lawyer, didn't really, really? have any aspirations of being an entrepreneur until I started my third business. When I realized, I think I actually am an entrepreneur, but um, all of those elements along the way sort of played into who I was and who I became. I had a really interesting um, story at age 12 where, and it's such a silly story, but I was I was mowing a guy's lawn um, for a friend of mine. It was her, her dad, and I overheard him say, you know, to his wife, you know, hon, I really love Trey. He's such a great guy, but he just did, he's just not a good worker. And that affected me. And ever since then, I said, there will never be a time in my life again that somebody says I'm not a hard worker. How old were you? 12. Wow. But you were a great athlete as a kid. Part of the reason I was a good athlete was because I worked harder than everybody else. After that moment. After that moment. I didn't realize I did a bad job. I thought I did a great job. I wish I would have mowed that guy's lawn when I was like 20. Yeah, well. Because that's a, that's a powerful lawn. Well, he and he doesn't remember it. He, I tell him the story a lot. And he doesn't remember the story. But that was the beginning of it. And then I just started. I got into college, um, played football, got hurt, moved back to Texas. I uh, went to Baylor. 
And a friend of mine had started a dot-com and called and said, I need your help. I said, I've already got two other jobs. He said, just help me. And so I started to help. And as I started to help, you know, startup companies so chaotic. There's so many things that need to be done, so many things that that need attending to and so many opportunities that exist. I just came back into the to the business one day and said, well, why don't you do this? And why aren't you doing this? And could we think about this? And he said, sure, go do that. And so I just taught myself. Was this the late 90s? This was the late 90s. So that you're part of a big boom. He, he was a part of the big boom. I worked there. Gotcha. But yes. Noted. And then we he sold his company to a, a business in Nashville. And so I moved to Nashville and there I got to learn all aspects of how to build tech companies, how to manage people, how to how to learn and grow and, and worked hard. I mean, I would go to work at six in the morning. I'd come home at midnight. Um, I'd read all the research that there was out there and I would start trying to find opportunities inside the business to grow. So it just, I had a lot of initiative and was really coachable and willing to learn. And, and so fortunately at that time, I had some, some guys that would, you know, spend some time in my life, help me out, point me in the right direction. The rest of it, from about 21 on was just, you know, similar to you. I had to figure it all out. When did you figure out the invest, the investment, the entrepreneur side? I think that, you know, that you're either born with it or you're not. And so that's an interesting conversation we, I have with a, with a lot of my friends. Ken, are you born an entrepreneur? Are you made an entrepreneur? I think that there are nuances. I think people who are born entrepreneurs have an easier time at it. But think about all of the situations that we go through in um, when an economy has a downturn and you lose your job and it wasn't your choice and you have to start a company because you don't have any other alternative. And so I think people can learn that. I believe what we should be teaching kids is the entrepreneurial mindset. And we do that. I do that at SMU. Um, and I've got, gotten, and to do that, I've gotten to do that a little bit at Highland Park high school. And I think teaching the entrepreneurial skill set is something that is val- that can be invaluable to a, a kid, regardless of whether he's a barista at Starbucks, a middle manager or an entrepreneur starting, starting his or her, her own company. So, I'm a big fan of that. But I'm just, what was the first moment where, again, y'all that are watching this or listening that maybe are not in Texas or North Texas or Dallas, trade truly is involved in an uncomfortable amount of startups. Not uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. He's got so many. But, I mean, you had to have something where the volume of which you've been involved from the music space to the faith space to the startup space to tech space to healthcare. I mean, that's at your age, you're, you know, you're still really, really young. What was that moment where you're like, all right, this struck a chord and it felt right? I think when it's this concept of where you have this vision and you're like, gosh, I'd really like to see this happen. And then you, and you look around and you go, well, I guess if it's going to happen, I've got to do it. And then really what I learned at a young age, I built this company. Maybe um, talk about that real quick. I think the responsibility, um, curse, Mm-hmm. is is real but you, you maybe expand on that i think people will appreciate like essentially if anyone's going to do it it's got to be you i love it i love the idea knowing that if a company succeeds i get to share the credit with the people around me but if the company fails it's on me i'm willing i'm okay with it being my fault right obviously i don't want something to, to fail but early on i sort of learned in my in my first business um, that I that or that my third business that I that I w- was running um, was sort of the right time, right place in the dot com boom, and we saw we had about 110 million customers in the first. How year. old were you? 22, maybe. Your third company you were running at 22 years old had 100 million people that in the first year. It was the right time, right place. It was sort of in that peer to peer file sharing like Napster world. Um, but what was fascinating about it was I realized that 
I have no idea. I, I, I have to build a sales team now to go to go monetize what's happening. I didn't know how to build a sales team. So I read a book and built a sales team. And then I didn't know how to build a business development strategy. So I read a book and went out and did that and then just started learning. And I remember coming into the office of the chairman one day and saying, hey, I just closed a $7 million deal. And he was like, okay. And you know, we kind of kept talking. And I said, no, no, wait, is that good? Like is seven million, should it have been $11 million and I totally missed the mark or should it have been four and I knocked the cover off the ball? But it was that point. And then as we started to build that company and see that company grow, um, I mean, at that point in my career, I thought, man, success is if I have a million dollars, by the time I'm 30, if I have a million dollars, I'll be, I'll be successful. And then I learned something through that business. First of all, although a million dollars is a lot of money, you can't live on a million dollars for the rest of your life. Um, and second of all, it's probably, it is the biggest company I'll ever build. And it probably should have sold for a ton of money. And for a slew of different reasons, they didn't, they didn't sell it. Um, the board decided to not sell it and ended up going through legal battles. And we ended up going to the Supreme Court and they upheld our decision, which, which was good. But I realized you can't control the outcome. You were 21? Yeah, 22. Oh my God. But I couldn't, you couldn't, I couldn't control the outcome of the business. Like that business should have been easily an exit. But what I could control was my contribution to the process. And so what I look at um, when I'm building a business is how am I contributing today? How am I being responsible today? How am I being um, a support to my staff today? I want to see, I want to build companies where the people I work with not only reach their potential, but exceed the potential that they think they have. And so for me, it's not just a, about building a company and exiting it. It's about every single day in that process. And that responsibility to me is fun. That's where you see the massive amounts of growth too. Well, once it gets bigger, I'm not the right guy to run it anymore. What, what if you had to go and uh, boil like if you had to go and pinpoint what your skill set is to, in in one word? What is it? Like a, a, a strategist, a builder, a ideator, a creator. What what is executor. it? Executor. Executor. Yeah. So you essentially like the stuff everyone else hates. Um, I like knowing that I'm doing something when somebody else isn't. That's the way I looked at it growing up. If I'm working out, then somebody else isn't. But if I'm not working out, somebody else is. Again, and blessing so, and a curse. It is. It's hard to check out, and it's hard to go and live a competitive lifestyle as an entrepreneur, especially in today's economy. Well, and I tell people all the time, people say, what's your number one word of advice for, for, for aspiring entrepreneurs? And I say, that's easy, absolutely, unequivocally, without doubt, do not do this. Do not do this. It is not what you think. You think you know what working hard is like. You do not know what working hard is like. You do not know the sacrifice that exists, right? And it, I'm not glorifying entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs aren't better than non-entrepreneurs. But you know it just takes a special thing inside of you, a next level, that most people don't really have. The second thing I say to them is, if after I tell you not to do this, you decide to not be an entrepreneur, then you don't really want to do it anyway. But you're not baiting them, but no, I, I just I just want people to realize what they what it what it means. The, it's a lifestyle. It's a, the lifestyle completely changes the minute you step your foot into the wa the waters of entrepreneurship. Hundred percent. And and the innocence is gone. The ignorance is gone. A lot of the joy is gone. And then you have to kind of go and fight through the sludge until you get that first little lick. You're like, oh wow, that was fun. I mm -hmm. want to get another one. And then you have a hard time realizing when you should actually take a step away and enjoy it and. Yeah, you, you've seen this to a different kind of, of volume. You remember the first time you saw something blow up, like something that didn't work? You know, it's an interesting story because people used to ask me all the time, what are your what are your failures? What's your biggest failure? 
And I used to think, well, I've never really had a company fail, but like, I don't, what do you know? I, I don't have a huge failure. And then I went in um, about a year and a half ago and I was looking at old folders and, and a couple of companies that I had been a part on your, of. On your floppy disks? On my, on my three by five. <laughs> and I, um, and I, and I looked at them and I realized there were hundreds and hundreds of projects and programs and initiatives that were failures. But to me, I didn't think of a failure. I thought of them as, as learnings. I was like, oh, that didn't work. Let's do something else. So I think the failures I had, the hundreds and hundreds of them, um, I, some people would say the failures that I've had are the opportunities that I didn't take that were, were yeah. could have turned out to be really great. I just don't look at things like that. I, I sort of say, look, this is where I am today. I'm going to do the best job I can and, and move on from there. Okay, well, let's talk about, um, I think that if I had to, I've asked Trey multiple times to run for mayor. Not ask, I think Trey would be the greatest mayor of all time for all the right reasons. And I tell you this, where one of the reasons is that you just love our metro. He has a hat on that says Fort Worth. You can't make this stuff up. You love that, even though you wouldn't be mayor of Fort Worth. But you, you love our city, and you've been able to go and be a part of significant change. And I remember Trey came to our office probably six, seven years ago and talked about the West End at the time being the first district in the country to have essentially Wi-Fi available. Just these things where he's got his his finger on the pulse, but out of all this stuff, like what did you fall in love with among all the different things I talked about, but as far as like city development in our city, maybe it's Dallas in general, just the ability to make an impact. What was your kind of lead in with that and how have you been able to make real, real impact? When I moved back to Dallas in 2008, I, I sold my last company in 2011. What was that? GodTube. 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 For real, GodTube. Yes. Another, this is in the, in the faith world. So YouTube for believers. Sold it. Anyway, back to you. So, so um, we, uh, I sort of decided at that point, having lived in a, I'd lived in New York and LA and San Francisco and Nashville and all these cities. And after living in all these cities, I realized after coming back to North Texas, I was like, there's no better place in the co country to build a business. There's no better place in the country to live. There's no better place with more potential than what DFW had. And so I said, well, if I'm going to live here, I want to help entrepreneurs mentor them and I want to help make us a better region. And so uh, I launched this thing called the Dallas Entrepreneur Center to help entrepreneurs. And I Which is a huge deal. Huge. I don't know if it's huge, but it's it, a huge it's deal. helped entrepreneurs in North Texas, aspiring entrepreneurs. And then um, and then I ended up trying to figure out, okay, how can I get involved in the city? I realized I didn't know much about our city. If I didn't know much about our city, maybe, maybe other people did too. So I ended up tracking down this guy that was running for mayor. Um, and, and then through a slew of different interactions, after he became mayor, he called and said, let's, um, let's work on something. And, and my whole pitch was, how do we engage young people in the city? How do we increase the voter turnout? Because Dallas's voter turnout is probably one of the worst in the country, especially for a big city. Really? Um, how do we help engage people in the future? How do we bring in culturally diverse but civically minded young professionals, people who believed and wanted to embrace and engage the city today rather than just inherit it? So we started teaching these um, young, amazing leaders how to engage. We taught them how to connect with leaders in the city. We taught them about the city. We had people come out and teach them about how the system was set up and how many city council members we have and where the districts are. And slowly but surely, we started to amass an amazing group of more than 200 uh, young leaders who believed and recognized and understood that building the future of their city was their responsibility, to use that word again. Um, and what I tell those young people all the time, they're 25 to 40-year-old um, 
young people. The organization was called Mayor Star Council. Now it's called Engage Dallas. Um, I always say to them, if the city of Dallas sucks in 20 years, it's your fault. Because it is. And we have to recognize it. And if it's great, it's Trey's. It's Trey wins. Yeah, it was my whole whole deal. But it's, I mean, you, you, you saw this too. I'm sure you did. Like at some point in your life, you change from being like, the, the, the young buck who's learning to the person who's teaching. That's and so, so we have true. to explain, we have to teach them what to do and do it well, and what better way to learn than to be surrounded with people who have been there and done that before, and people who have made decisions for the city, people who understood how to take in um, information and make the best decisions they have possible, and how great to bring in, especially in our city, um, in our region that's so... Um, culturally diverse, but just economically diverse too. And the massive amounts of difference between the haves and the have nots in our area. Like what if we could start bringing together culturally diverse people and developing relationships? And so that one of my, and people who have different faiths and different political aspirations or sexual orientations, whatever it is that makes us different, that's what makes these great, these great cities, these international cities great is because they embrace the diversity that they have and it makes their their place, it makes their city more dynamic. And we don't do that. We haven't done a great job. But if we but I believe the future of equity is based around relationship. And so if you and I have a relationship and we don't we don't have the same background or the same belief system, that's where we can really start to make change happen. And so my favorite thing that I hear these young people say is, I met my best friend in Engaged Dallas. And I'm like, that's great. And they're like, you don't understand. I never, I never even would have met this person before. I'm Jewish and they're Christian. You know, I'm black and they're Hispanic, right? Whatever the differences may be, but they met and now our ability to change the city and build the future of the city is phenomenal because we're doing it based upon what makes us different, what makes us dynamic, which which is what will make us great. So out of all the stuff I built, that's the one I, I really hope like lasts the uh, last for all time because I think the the people that we're seeing come through this, the leaders that we're seeing come through this is incredible. And I also tell people I'm glad I started it because I never would have gotten in. There's no, there's the people are so amazing. I never would have gotten in if I applied. I'll tell you what, man, that's, that's really powerful. But even getting into that headspace of, you know, an entrepreneur, a business person, but you know, Dallas is, I, I don't know if it's, a, it's as inviting of a city as it can be, or it's, it, it's getting more diverse and we're having things here that, you know, we just never thought we'd have like, different districts and you know it's got culture here for the first time maybe ever but you know to kind of stay consistent with the podcast and the theme of this how did you maintain that how did you maintain that healthy headspace of knowing it was an uphill battle and it obviously still is whether it's getting voter count more significant or it's getting people that historically wouldn't mentor because they don't think it's worth their time right that had to be a hard as hell sales pitch that you obviously perfected pretty quickly. Well, I think as I look back, because when I started all that stuff, I basically didn't pay myself for eight months and didn't think about it at all. I think I was, to a fault almost, so consumed with this vision that I had, this thing that I wanted to accomplish, everything else just went to the wayside um, while I focused on and, and the strategy was I'm going to go find people in the city who have credibility, who've been here for decades, um, get them to buy into the concept, and then I'm going to use that credibility to help build out the, the vision that we had. And it just happened to be that the deck and the Mayor Star Council and the innovation stuff we did in the West End 
all kind of and the SMU stuff all kind of happened at one time. And so it was literally like, imagine, imagine pushing this snowball, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you just pushed it off the top of the thing and just hoped that the momentum would take it down. And, and then surrounding yourself with great people and finding people who bought into your vision too, people that would make the vision better. And now I sit back and I, people come up to me all the time and they're like, Hey, did you ever know this was going to be where the organization was? And my answer is, of course, you idiot. Why would I do it if I didn't? But I didn't know it was going to look like this. And I didn't know the point where things become really fun for me is when something is no longer just your vision. Somebody else buys into it yeah. and they make it better. Yeah. And that's where it gets really cool and really different and really special and, and starts to create something that hopefully has some longevity. It's powerful. I'm going to ask you a loaded question and you have to answer it pretty quickly, like immediately. Do you think you're a victim of your own selflessness? Yes. Yeah. Like all these things that you've done, and I know that, you know, obviously there's a lot of success with exiting companies and having liquidity events, but, you know, a, a large phase of your life, a prop like your 30s, your 30s were dedicated to making a city better, which that normally doesn't come in line with seeing a, by the way, you look like a SWAT officer. I just Thank realized you. you look like, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, but for real, all these things, as I'm sitting here having like this moment, I'm like, dude, you're doing all this for other people. Literally, and you're in your. It's a legacy play, which most people aren't in that mindset, especially at, in their twenties and thirties, when your wisdom, you know, almost was to your detriment. Mm -hmm. But you saw these things that were needed to be done, and again, it's the curse of, oh, if I don't do this, no one else will. But how did you stay sincere with that, knowing that you were kind of increasing other people's? You're making their wallets thicker. I, I sort of just committed to myself that I was going to do for, for a period of five years, I was just going to do nonprofit stuff. Cause I knew that if there was a battle between for-profit and nonprofit, that the profit side would always win. So I just, every opportunity I had to do a for-profit, I said, no, even when I thought there'd be great opportunity. And there's several sort of ideas that I, that I birthed during that time that I've seen succeed. I just, I just can't build myself based upon financial success alone. I wanted to do what was in my heart, heart and what I was passionate about. I think my my big regret because I was doing so much at that time was that I although I didn't realize it, I was not being present there for my family the way I could have been. Yeah. And um and specifically my wife, I don't think my kids felt it, but I think my wife felt it and I think she has PSD P, uh, PTSD from it now because it was just a it was such a a time, but I was so, and this is the danger of entrepreneurship is you become so like myopic in your focus, um, that you, you don't realize that you're, you're negating, you know, people around you. Um, there's a great, um, city council member here who once said, um, that, that when you're, when you're running out the door to go help other people, don't make sure you don't step over your own kids. Hmm. And so I think that's something that I've learned through this is just how yeah, my, Part of it was that I was doing good and that was fun. Part of it was that I, I was just trying to accomplish my vision. So in the selflessness, there was still selfishness and that I was sticking to this, like, I've got to do this. I've got to do it. If I don't do it, who can? I'm working 20 hours a day plus, um, and I'm out four nights a week at five events a night. And you just realize, I mean, that's that's what the way our mayor lived. Like, I was watching it too. But Dude, the, the thing with the two to interrupt you, I start, there's no end goal. And I think that's what's hard, and that's why doing this podcast has kind of changed my life. It's like what I'm, ch I'm, ch I'm, I don't know if I'm chasing or if I'm avoiding getting chased, but there's no end goal. 
And I think that's what's dangerous too about having the responsibility gene is that once you get one thing, you're like, oh my God, I want to go after this thing. I'm going to start this new thing. I want to meet. It's like there's no end goal. And I think having a wife and children obviously help kind of keep your life edited. But did you have a moment where you're just like, okay, I got to just, I got to stop. I got to completely turn around and focus on the thing that's inside my house versus outside. So it was a mixture of, I had told my wife that I would only do nonprofit stuff for five years. And so we picked a date two days after that. I, I, I had resigned. I had hired somebody to replace me. I only had one company that was paying me. I didn't make the other ones pay me, which was another <laughs> decision. Um, Trey has a lot of people that own favors, by the way. If y'all are watching this, his Ven- what's your Venmo? Yeah. <laughs> Trey Bulls. Yeah, just send send yeah, it just, in. Yeah, or send it to me, and I'll give him a percentage of it. Yeah, there, there you go. Um, so that was part of it. Was I picked a day, and then unfortunately the um, the the new CEO we hired to run the deck ended up not staying, and so I had to go back and take it back over for another six six or nine months, and so it extended longer than I thought it was going to extend. But I think the other side of it too was my wife was just like you know, white flag in it. She was like, Hey bro, like this isn't, this is not healthy. It's not healthy for me. She, I, I'm, um, I'm worried that if you don't make changes that it, you're going to re- look back and regret it. It wasn't a threat. Like you better do this or yeah. it was just, I think you're going to regret this decision. And I just like sat up long enough to like get my head above the fray and look around. And I was like, Oh yeah, what am, what am I doing? Yeah. And, um, and so then I just slowly unraveled from it and, and now I stay involved loosely in, in the things where I can be helpful, uh, and, and focus on, you know, making money again. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. The, the, yeah. I mean, the gift of perspective, and I think you and I get to share a lot of it. Uh, Trey and I get to exercise every morning, uh, for the most part, but I remember pre working out together, your schedule was, I mean, it made me look lazy and you would stay up till one or two in the morning and get five or six hours of sleep and you think that that's how you could live. And now you're, you're a different kind of fit and you're healthy. You seem happier and you've got perspective and you're still getting as much as you need to get done, but it's just kind of changed. And ironically to lead into the next question, you're kind of in the health space now, right? So again, God you know, music, which we're going to get to in the Rogers music tour podcast eventually. Uh, what other, what other spaces you're into all of a sudden you're in the health space. So what, what led you there and how are you actually leading a whole different, division centered around the health and uh, health and welfare category. There's a global investment firm called Techstars, and they do accelerators all over the world, and they help by investing early stage in companies and then helping build them up and continue to stay with them and, and creating opportunities for them to raise more money, grow, and exit. And uh, a friend of mine was uh, putting one together in North Texas. This is the first time North Texas has had a Techstars accelerator. Um, in Fort Worth in general, it's the largest city in the country to not have an accelerator program like this. And so um, I got called and said, we're launching a couple of accelerators in North Texas. Will you come run one? And I said, great. What is it about? And, and they said, healthcare. And I said, well, that's awesome. I just started my first healthcare company last year. I don't really know much about it. And they said, doesn't matter. Just come in and figure it out. And so we have a three-month-a-year program where we invite entrepreneurs from all over the world to come and live in Fort Worth. And we take them through and help connect them to mentors and help teach them how to build business relationships and customers. And then we help them raise money. And so that's what I'm doing in Fort Worth. Uh, Is it hard to get excited about? Like, I mean, not hard to get excited, but all these different things. I mean, it's like somebody you've, you've become a master of every single trade that you've been a part of, but 
is healthcare easy to get excited about when you see these startups? I know you've had people from Germany over here, people from obviously DFW, but are you able to look at it from a different lens, which gives you favor to giving them wisdom? So part of it is, part of it is just learning something new. And I get, I get excited about that. You know, I I wouldn't say I'm an expert in a bunch of things, but I've spent 10,000 hours doing a bunch of different things. And they say it takes 10,000 hours at doing something to become an expert. Uh, I think the second thing is that it's not about what I can provide for them individually. I only have so many sets of experiences. It's about surrounding them with the right group of people to do that. And so we have about 160, 170 mentors just to the program that's available to help these companies that have different sets of backgrounds, different sets of uh, specialties and areas of expertise. And so I get, I find excitement and joy in pulling all that together to create the best possible scenario for the, for the company's success. And you actually have financial benefit now too. If they do well, yeah. When they do well. When they do well. What, what do you look for when you see a – two questions. First thing you look for when you see a successful leader or future leader, and then same thing for a company. Like when you're putting your entrepreneurial successful hat of doing this for 30 years, you know, what are the secret – what are your secrets to actually picking a winner? So I think um, for a leader or for an entrepreneur, there's a couple of things. One is um, they have to be coachable, right? Yeah. They have to be willing to take – um, counsel advice and suggestions. Um, when you've done this as, as many times as I have, or if you have, you recognize the importance of being willing to listen to people's advice. You don't have to take all their advice, but you realize you don't know everything. The older we get, the more we do, the, the, the more we realize, gosh, we didn't know nearly as much as we thought we did, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. So that's the first one is if they're coachable, that's an exceptionally important piece. Um, and second of all, I think the mark of a great leader is is this. I think um, leaders make decisions in one of three ways. They either don't ask anybody for advice and make a decision. They ask every person for devi- advice, and they change their mind after they have every conversation. Or three, they pull in all available advice that they can, and they're decisive. And so I look for an entrepreneur who's decisive. Hmm. Right. That doesn't mean that he or she won't have to change their mind and they won't be wrong. I think that's another thing. The other thing I tell entrepreneurs all the time to do is when I have board meetings for my companies, um, I spend the majority of my time talking about the mistakes that I made, how what I understood about those mistakes, how I won't make them again. Anybody can read a, a presentation on how good you're doing. I got so tired in running companies, spending 90% of my board meetings telling my board how great I was, how great the company was doing. I was like, I've got all these really great people here with all these experiences, all these relationships, and I'm going to waste their time telling them how great we are. That's stupid. Let's, let's figure out the things they can really help us with. So I like when entrepreneurs take that approach too to come in and re- because your your board and your advisors and even your pl- employees know you're making mistakes. There's no way you're not making mistakes. It's about correcting those, and that's how how I try to build the organizations for my staff too. Is look, there's no question about what you're going to do wrong because you're going to do a bunch wrong. If you don't do the same thing wrong a hundred times, we're fine. If you do the same thing wrong a hundred times, then you're probably not. It's probably not the right place for you. But make the mistake. Let's talk about it, acknowledge it, understand it, fix it, and move forward. Hmm. It's this whole concept of failing fast and learning and growing and that and that building a company isn't about success or failure. It's about the learnings that go through the process. I love it. I think it's important, too, to find out as quick as you can what you suck at. Yeah. And then finding people that don't suck at it that can you know take away a lot of the responsibility. Um, 
looking back at this phase in your career, all the things you've been a part of, what was the most special startup company? Whether it's the Dallas, you know, innovation and, you know, the councils and stuff, but what was the one, like your one highlight that if you could go and just share one story forever, what company would it be? So I think the interesting thing about the peer-to-peer file sharing company I did, Morpheus, was that it took, and I it, I wish it was different because really I had zero to do with its growth. It just exploded. Like this is the one with a hundred million users. Yeah, like Napster shut Napster was shut down by the government the day before, the week before we launched, and then it launched, and then we were just thrown in the midst of it. And the chairman of the company had come to me and said, "Hey, I need you to write me an online advertising plan so we can make money." And I said, "Okay, give me two weeks." I spent the first week figuring out what online advertising was, and I spent the second week building the plan. And then we started to grow and we started to grow. And I'll never forget in the same week I got out of a, I got out of the plane in Heathrow, got into a black cab and the, and the cabbie looked at me and started talking to me about this new website called Morpheus where you could, you know, you could do peer to peer file sharing. And I was like, that's cool. And later that week I was in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas and a Walmart and the guy and his girlfriend in front of me were talking about this website called Morpheus. And I thought, that's pretty cool because although I didn't have anything to do in creating that, recognizing what true, like, true saturation and impact can look like was really, really fun. And being, you know, a kid and being really young and, and, and recognizing that as an opportunity, I really, really liked that. So that was fun from that perspective. I think, I think building some of the stuff that we've been doing in North Texas, I think anything that where we see and we can empower entrepreneurs or leaders to really ex- exceed their potential um, is what I feel like it's part of my calling to do. And so um, so some of the stuff that we've done with the deck, which is now called the deck network or with engaged Dallas has been super exciting because seeing an entrepreneur have a light bulb come off or seeing them being there and watching her, build a company that starts to grow and succeed, um, is, is super, super fun. And, and I've got all kinds of stories about, about entrepreneurs I've seen that happen to, but, but that, that's really great. Now I'd like to do the same thing for myself again, um, and, and grow from there, but you you gotta, I kind of just take every day and I just pray that I'm in the place that I need to be and recognizing that nothing that I'm going to say or do is going to change, the, you know, whether I sit inside or outside of the, the, the will of God, I'm just going to be there. And so for me, faith is super important, which is probably a driver and why, you know, if I don't sell a company for a hundred million dollars, I'll, I'll be all right. Yeah. But, um, but I want to be great at whatever I do. I want to do excellent at whatever I do. And whether that's a nonprofit or a for-profit or as an investor, I want to just keep learning and getting better. I love it. Um, feel free to not answer this question, but what was the one company you look back? You're like, dadgummit, I wish I was a part of that. Skype. Okay. Well, that was, I thought Skype. I was, so at Morpheus, it's a funny story. At Morpheus, we were working with this group um, and they actually, long story short, but they shut Morpheus down for a little bit. And after I leave Morpheus, I'm traveling across Europe. I went to like 70 cities in three months and and I end up meeting up with the founder of this company in, in Copenhagen. He was getting chased by the U.S. government for copyright infringement. <laughs> And so he said, I'll be in Copenhagen. Randomly, his name was Harrison Ford, and he was he was hiding out. He had this beard, the fugitive. So we meet up, and we're talking for a little bit. And he's like, he said, hey, we're starting a new company. This is what we're going to do. And I said, look, love it. Um, I think 
voiceover IP is something that's going to be real in three years. I've done a lot of research on it. I said, two, I think the name is stupid. And three, I think you're going to get sued for copyright infringement. Um, and the interesting thing, perspective-wise, of that Skype, sto- Skype was that um, I my first company I worked for sold in eight months. The second company that I that I built was the fastest growing company in the internet. I thought three years was a long time. Whereas now I'd be like, gosh, if you told me I could be a part of a voiceover IP, you know, or early stage technology company, I totally would do it. And so the Skype left, and they had asked me to be kind of head up all the stuff in the U.S. and they sold for uh, $3.5 billion to uh, eBay, and then they sold for $1.5 billion to a private equity firm, and then they sold for $10.5 billion to Microsoft. Hmm. So um, I wish I would have done that one, but I wouldn't have the bride that I have. I wouldn't have the kids yeah. that I have. But but yeah, that one's... And, and there's some interesting one out, out, out there like that. I, I bought Morpheus.com from Reed Hoffman, who started LinkedIn. So it, like back in the early days of the internet, we were really at the forefront of some amazing, amazing things and just got to, to see some really cool stuff uh, happening when... You still, you still do. How, how do you stay grounded? Again, I mean, like God knows how much caffeine you got to drink to just make it through a day because you're pulled so many different directions, but... What is it? And obviously, your faith is your driver, your family, your kids, your wife, your friends. But what is it that actually keeps you being such a genuinely kind and sincere person, knowing that you've been, of course, you were in Copenhagen with the guy that started <laughs> it's Skype. Weird, but I'm just saying, like, story, in these stories, huh? and Trey's, Trey is, uh, he's our Kevin Bacon, uh, except he's like one or two degrees away from just about anybody. But what is it that keeps you grounded and centered, knowing that you're giving away so much goodness to so many people, not really asking for anything in return? I mean, I think it's. A, I think faith is the first and foremost. I think. I think when you, I saw some success early on, and I was in. I was in the places that I think we would think. I mean, the places you were in LA, hanging out with the people that we were hanging out with, being a part of that scene with those people in that world, and recognizing, like, man, if I thought this is what was going to do it for me, just like money, just when you start to make money, you thought, if I thought this was what was going to make me happy, in the end, I realized none of that stuff is. Those are all great things, but they're not going to be fulfilling. And so why cheapen it and pretend like it's going to, all right? And so uh, that, along with the fact that my, my wife is has a lot of grace for me, but also is very good at keeping me accountable and, and, and thinking on the right path. And she can sense when I get off a little bit, when I start to, to sway back into the, the mainstream, you know, the stream where I'm just going so fast I can't stop. Um, I obviously think working out at six in the morning with you has kept me really grounded. Um, and you know, constantly showing how I can improve and grow in my life. I'm just shocked you have a shirt on. Well, yeah. You paid me. So yeah, true. Um, okay. Best advice you've ever received. Um, that's surprised you don't have this just ready to go. I well, I most everything I've ever done, I had to make up myself. I didn't have a lot of people that were giving me advice or if I rely on nobody. Trey no, Bowles, no, the, no. the ultimate one man show. No, I mean, I think I think it's it's those principles. I think it's as simple as you know, do unto others as you have them do to you. I mean, I'm I teach this whole thing in my in my um, in my classes about this thing that I built called the reputation relationship matrix. And basically what it says is if you treat people right when you're 25, you're going to be more successful when you're 45. And it's silly, but the reality is think of the people who call you today that you knew 
15, 20 years ago, if they treated you well 15 or 20 years ago before you had kind of built your own company and seen success, you remember. you'll answer their, you'll answer their call. But if they took advantage of you or didn't treat you well, doesn't matter who they are, you're not going to take their call. And so I think it's important to treat people with integrity and to treat people with the way that you want to be treated and recognize that, that we celebrities know they're no better than anybody else. They're just like anybody else. It's us that don't know that about them. And having gotten to spend so much time in the music business and film and TV stuff, I just recognized that. And it was never a, a, a driver for me. I mean, I think the other side of it is I tell people all the time, my biggest pet peeve is incompetence. And I hate it when people do things that are incompetent or they don't think through. And then I realize I did four incompetent things the last hour. And so it just, it keeps you humble and, and there's always an opportunity to learn and grow, and um, I still want to do that. Hmm. I love it. How do we support you? Like, what's the best way to support Trey? You want my Venmo again? Well, we already got that, and it's going to go through Rogers-Healy, and then I'm going to give him a percentage of, of the win here. But what's the best way to support you, whether it's high level, like get involved, take responsibility, be a leader? Yeah. Or it's actually following you online or being a part of your startup community, whether it's knowing about tech stars, et cetera. What's the best way to support Trey Bowles? So I'd say two, two things. For people who are here locally, I, th- I think you need to get involved in, the, in, in your community, whether that's Fort Worth or Dallas or Plano or Frisco, and recognize that you know we're at that age where it's no longer the future of the city is not on our current leaders, it's on us. It's on us to hold them accountable, but it's on us to be civic leaders, to engage, to invest in our communities, to to reduce um, the um, amount of inequity that we see that we that we didn't necessarily create, but we're we're not. If we don't end it, we're still responsible for that. Um, and so I think we that's the first the first piece. I think second of all, is, you know, connecting online and and just keeping me updated on what everybody's got going on, you know, we're looking for investment opportunities, we're looking for opportunities to help companies and come along in a bunch of different ways. I just like to see what's going on and and stay involved. So uh, or Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. I'm, I'm, I'm the Facebook. I'm pretty active. I can't get into my Facebook. Account. What if we wanted to so. Skype with you? Would that be too bitter? <laughs> no, for, he'll zoom you, but don't request a I, Skype. I do have a Skype account. Same Skype account I had, you know, the first day that they set it up. Hmm, I believe it. Last question. You look back and you think of all these things you've done in your illustrious career um, and husband, dad, Christian, startup guru, business coach, mentor. Sherpa, bodybuilder, what's the proudest accomplishment? Well, I, that has to be being a dad. I mean, that's you know, it's it's pretty incredible, and yeah. and 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 I can loop in my wife in that because you can't be a dad without without a mom, right? So, um, getting to build the family I have with Taylor has just been incredible, and I look at them every day, and I'm amazed at I'm amazed at the strengths that they have despite me, and the weaknesses that they don't have that I have, and I just it's just such a blessing to get to to see them. I mean, that's what real legacy is, right? Yeah. And nobody's nobody's going to remember you 100 years from now except for the people that hear stories about you, and those that's going to come from your family. So, um, you know, I, I just feel really blessed to have that opportunity. For me, it's great. You know, not everybody that wants to do that kind of stuff, but um, that's always going to be my first priority and, my, and, and the areas where I will look back 20 years from now and my hope is when you say 20 years from now, tell me about your favorite part of, you know, 2022. I'll talk about the things I did with my kids because that is my favorite part. And this podcast. And this- First the podcast. 
and then working out with you and then a slew of other things yeah. that you're related to. Like your wife and your kids. Right. We're all related. Um, you learn a lot from Trey Bowles. I think you'll learn a lot about uh, being a servant leader, remaining humble. And also something that maybe you don't give yourself enough credit for is you've gone for kind of everything. You know, I don't know if you go for broke, but I'm saying if you have an idea or if you have something you're excited about, you explore it. And I think that is something that, again, blessing or curse, you, you've figured it out and you've become a master of all trades versus just a jack of trades. And so uh, that's why I wanted you to come on here today and share your story of inspiration. But really, there's nothing that you've done that is, oh, my God, it's just that you've you found opportunity and you've struck. And I feel like that's what most people need to try to accomplish, but they get scared. And so for you, I'm a fan. I love you like a brother, and I'm, I'm glad that you came on it today. And the last question is uh, the movie about Trey Bowles. Who plays you in the movie? Like, oh, Matt, like any, like who would be, who would play Trey Bowles in the movie? Well, I mean, do you want who I'd like to play me or, yeah, who, or yeah. who, who would play me? Because Sean Astin would play me. There's Ooh, no question there. But like Sean Astin, Lord of the Rings, <laughs> yeah. Sean Astin, Rudy, 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 Sean Astin, Goonies. Well, Goonies would be the best, but but no, I mean Sean Ashton and I look a lot alike, so that's that's kind of he would play me, but he, do, he might be obtainable. I'm just going to throw it out there, and I, I think Sean Ashton, Sean Ashton in Stranger Things. There you go. Yeah, not Sean Ashton Rudy, but like Sean Ashton in Stranger Things. Okay. Okay. Wow, that's how you end a podcast, everybody. Trey Bowles, thank you. I'm Trey Bowles, and this is how you sell without selling out. Rogers that.